Welcome to Cradle to the Grave. My name is Jill, and this podcast talks about anything to do with life's milestones, from literally birth to death, transitions and traditions. So keep listening, and remember to subscribe if you enjoy these episodes. Today I'm talking to Claire Bradford, who I met in 2020 during the national lockdown, when I decided to train as a celebrant. This interview is in two parts, as we had so much to talk about. Now, over the years, Claire has been an English teacher, she's worked for the Church of England, and she's been a life coach. She's also written articles for newspapers and glossy magazines, run a popular networking group, had her own regular column in a couple of publications, and even her own local BBC radio show for a short time. She does like variety. When a celebrant took her father-in-law's funeral, she was inspired. Here was a role that involved all the things she loved to do. Years later, she still thinks her job is the best in the world, and she trains other people to do it too. I'd like to welcome Claire Bradford in person to the first of the podcasts under the title of From the Cradle to the Grave, which quite frankly can cover a multitude of sins, I think. <laughs> but in this instance, I'm really happy to welcome Claire, who is a, a celebrant of great repute, um, who will celebrate funerals, vow renewals, weddings, elopements, occasionally baby namings, I think, and anything that you really want to celebrate. But um, I came across Claire when I was looking for a training and found her amazing website called the Celebrants Collective and was so overwhelmed with joy when I found it. It's a beautiful website. So I thought, well, let's have a chat about it. So Claire, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. Very excited to be your inaugural podcast. Hooray. <laughs> it's a great privilege to have you here because you are currently in the throes of developing new trainings. However, Let's start at the beginning. What is the Celebrants Collective and why was it set up? Well, originally the Celebrants Collective was set up by Natasha Johnson, who is my co-director and uh, we call each other work wives. Um, and she set it up in October 2017. And really she I thought I would like to just have a group of celebrants that are like-minded and that we can um, just talk about the, the art of celebrancy. And that was really where it very first started, the, the idea of getting some like-minded celebrants together for support and help. And then gradually she thought, actually, it would be really good if we could make this into a more formal sort of an affair where um, it grows from just being a, a Facebook group, which it was to start with, to being a membership group and uh, and to have things like well, lots of CPD. So right from an, an early start, she asked people to come in and do webinars uh, for celebrants about all sorts of things from creating ceremony and, and the art of all the creativity stuff but also things like the marketing and the running of the business kind of thing as well 
So she was really keen on doing that and got lots of lovely people from all over the world to come in and do webinars uh, for her growing membership. And uh, it was around this time that I very first discovered Celebrants Collective, so pretty early on. At the time, there were a few Facebook groups and things out there for celebrants, but I always kind of felt like a square peg in a round hole, as, as they say. Um, you know, I was a celebrant as well, but I didn't kind of really quite speak the language of these people. When I found the Celebrants Collective, I was so excited. It felt like I'd come home. I felt like I was part of this family. And I was very, very pleased about that and contacted uh, Natasha. And it wasn't that long afterwards that, um, that she, she asked me if I'd be interested in in contributing so I did uh, I can't remember what the first thing I, I did was but a few uh, blog posts and then we ran uh, some some in-person workshops together and I, I became quite um, quite invested straight away really then anyway so we've been working together for a while and it was always something for existing celebrants all over the world who want to do some CPD who want to talk about basically improving and building on on their their um, celebrancy skills and their business skills and uh, and then uh, just in the in the pandemic and in the lockdown um, I just I've been training for another company actually training other celebrants for another company and I just said to her, how would it be, just thinking out loud, how would it be if we actually officially joined forces and we had a training programme as well and I could come on, on board and do the training. Um, so for new celebrants, not just for the existing celebrants. And uh, I was a little bit nervous about that. And what, what was she going to say? And she was like, oh my God, yes, straight away. So so that's, uh, that's, that's now what we're doing. So now I'm officially a co-director and I'm doing the training part. Uh, so we're, we're training new celebrants for uh, to be wedding celebrants and funeral celebrants, but also continuing and building on the, the existing and, and um, the whole reason that it was set up in the first place, which is to support practicing celebrants throughout what, throughout their whole journey. So whether they've just started or whether they've been doing it for years and years and that celebrants, whether they trained with us or they've trained somewhere else or they're on the other side of the globe, wherever, but uh, it's a real family of celebrants. Claire, I, I mean, it, it is an extraordinary thing that the Celebrants Collective, and I'll just clarify for those that don't know what CPD means, it's continued professional development. Thank you. And I have to say, as someone who did um, come to your training course, uh, initially the wedding um, training course, and then I was a guinea pig for the funeral training course, <laughs> which was brilliant to be able to do. I have to say that is for me, one of the most surprisingly brilliant aspects of your training program is the continued professional development. And as you say, I found a tribe of people, which I think had I gone possibly into another sort of training package, I'm not convinced that I would have had the same experience. So um, I think we can certainly say you've ticked the boxes, brilliant. Yeah. And also, as you mentioned, um, Natasha, who is your co-director, co-founder, um, who is based in Spain, yeah, based in England. It's remarkable how you've actually really managed to construct this business during COVID using <laughs> technology and actually how productive you can be with yeah. technology. And I think this has been a huge learning curve, but we'll get to that a bit more later. So let's dive a little deeper into your training programs and and let's see where it all begins for example when I was searching for a training course I just typed in funeral celebrant training or whatever how do people 
come to you, do you think? Is it by personal recommendation or do you think it's just because your website is so beautifully fresh and clean, which certainly was my attraction to it? Mm -hmm. and, and really then, what are you offering when someone signs up for one or both of your courses? So I think, well, uh, uh, we were lucky in as much as Already Natasha had done a lot of work on the Celebrants Collective, so we weren't just a new kid on the block straight away, although we were new in the training aspect. So it's true that we were originally known to the Celebrant world, but obviously, of course, with training, you want to be known to the people who want to be a Celebrant. However, um, I, I mean, already, like I said, I'd been training for another company anyway. And as a lot of Celebrants do have, um, it, you, you do tend to get people contacting you and saying, oh, I'd really like to be a celebrant. And I've seen your website. How, how did you become a celebrant? I get I get that quite a lot. And I had the same thing when I was coaching in, in my kind of previous career. Um, uh, people would often contact me and say, how did you become a life coach? I'd really like to do it. So I already had quite a lot of people asking me about how, how they want, they said they really wanted to be a celebrant. How did I do it? They were really inspired by my website and so on. So before I'd started working with Natasha anyway, I'd, I'd got a whole section on my website about how to become a celebrant because so many people were asking me. And so it was quite easy to sort of change that and, and point it towards the Celebrants Collective as well. There's still lots of information on there, but um, so that's, that's where quite a lot of the early people came from or people who trained with me before or people who just were still phoning up and saying, how do you become a celebrant? So that, that was nice. And then of course, like I say, we, we are, established anyway on the net and stuff so so it was quite good to to have people organically coming to us it's something that we're working on as well um i'm very very lucky and as much as my husband works in seo and such things so we need to uh, sort all that out with him when we actually have time to sort of stop and and look up but um so yeah that's that's kind of how people are, are coming to us uh, but now and also lots of people recommendations uh, you know people will ask other celebrants as well how do you become a celebrant and lots of uh, our lovely celebrant colleagues are saying well we really recommend Natasha and Claire so hooray thank you for those and in, in answer to the second part of your question about what was it what, pe what people can expect on the course was that the question yeah I was really keen to make the course as flexible but as personal as possible for people who wanted to come and train with us and beforehand, when I was training before, I had been I'd be training in person. And, and of course, that's really lovely when you can do that. But if, of course, also coronavirus put a stop to, to doing all of that. But even then, I felt that that needed to be it needed to be more flexible and we needed to find a way to bring people together in a meaningful way. So you weren't just kind of sitting on your own, kind of working through a thing and feeling like, is there anyone else doing something? So um, I realised that people were um, wanting to have some kind of connection. They didn't just want something that they, they ploughed through on their own. And, and I wanted to find some way of doing that. So what we did was we created the course so that it's online, essentially like the, the the kind of the backbone of the course as such we put on a on an online learning platform and um, people can do that so literally they 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 decide they want to be a celebrant they don't have to wait until the next course starts or anything like that we don't have cohorts like a lot of them will do and um, they can start whenever they want to start and then there's an online platform they can work through all the modules there's seven modules with lots and lots of uh, different lessons within the modules a lot of the lessons have got extension tasks to to further that consolidation and that learning 
and then there are assignments at the end. Um, and so that's the kind of backbone of the course. However, the beating heart of the course is the tutorials um, and they are live tutorials that we have. We have twice a week that we run them. And, um, and that's for both funerals and the weddings course. I just wanted to interject and say that I have found by personal experience that those tutorials, and I know you don't have to attend all of them, but my goodness me, they were so helpful. Uh -huh. Firstly, because it's all very good sort of plowing through modules online and they were interesting and fun and they were sort of both downloadable as well as you could listen to them, which is helpful for different learning styles, which, you know, it's a good thing. Um, but those tutorials for me were such a help because questions will always come. And that was the perfect time to say, oh, I've been struggling with this or how does that happen? And even if it was in the resources, the answer, sometimes you just want to uh, explore and expand. And the fact that there were other people in the tutorial who may have realized they had the same questions, the, the debates would start and that, that was helpful. But I will also say that even having completed the course to be able to carry on mm. attending mm. tutorials is brilliant because then when you start doing the job, my goodness me, loads of questions arise. <laughs> and have you found that, that that's been the case with your students is that they keep coming back? Yes, very much so. And, and I'm so glad that you had that experience as well, because especially with the weddings course, um, we hoped that that would be the case. But of course, when it's a new thing and you're trying it out, you, you can hope that that will work. But it's it's something that I don't think has been done before in the same way, certainly not in the celebrancy world. And so I was thinking, I hope that's going to work and hope people will find it useful. And what has happened is actually it's been so much more successful than we could possibly have hoped for, actually, because like you say, people are coming uh, to, to lots of the tutorials. In order to certify, you actually only need to come to four altogether um, in, in, during the time, and you can do it very fast. We've had some people doing the course in, in like three weeks, um, or you can do it over a much longer time if you want to as well. And so, so you, can, you can come to those kind of four and, and that's it. But, but the beauty is if you can come to more, and like you say, it's all very well to kind of do a course and think, right, great, um, I'm a certified funeral celebrant now, brilliant. Um, and then like a month or so later, you get your first booking and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I've forgotten how to do all the things because you're kind of nervous and, and all those things. And it's so great to be able to come back and go, guys, guys, I've got, you know, I've got my first booking. Um, what are you going to do? Or, and, and it's just it's just really lovely support. Yeah, I, I would say because um, just becoming a celebrant isn't the whole story. It's about creating a business because we're all freelance workers. And then we have to suddenly discover, oh, how do I get the work? And the little tips and ideas that everyone brings to the table, both non-experienced and experienced. And I think also being connected into a network has been really important for me because I have met other people who have been in the business to varying degrees and and then started to learn you know things to do things to avoid and also which we'll get to later is funerals aren't just about turning up and doing a eulogy there's so much more to it um mm. and that's again about developing your personal style and we'll get into personal style later i'm sure but i think this is your unique selling point definitely with your collective is this great community and the sense of sharing of information and being so open to do to doing that without feeling judged or saying oh she's just a newbie what does she know 
I mean, yeah. I did my first funeral um, back in February and I felt very poised to be able to take it on. But my goodness me, it was a baptism of fire nevertheless. Yeah. And the fact that I could ask questions mm. was so vital. And, and as you see your graduates coming through, whether it's weddings or funerals, have you found that they have really appreciated the fact that you are continuing resource. Very much so, yeah. Um, I, and again, like I say, that was something I hoped would be the case, but but has been even even more so. So we, as well as the tutorials, we also have a Facebook group uh, for the trainees, and people will often stay in the group and and help the newbie trainees as well. So that's really lovely. Um, as part of as part of the uh, trainee offer uh, what we do uh, give them is, is a year's their first free um sorry, start again <laughs> we give them their first year of membership of the celebrants collective hq um, which is the kind of one for existing celebrants uh, we give them that for free and what's nice is I, I kind of talk about it like you know when you're at school and you have the uh, the small playground for the younger kids and then there's the big big scary playground that you're like oh my god you know all the, all the big kids are there and it's, it's quite nice to be able to go from the, the small playground and to, to be in the small playground as, a bit as well but also to be in the big playground playground until you're feeling a bit more confident and perhaps you're spending more time in the big playground and I actually do sometimes say as well the, the membership site when we've got everything else going on in the webinars that's like the sixth form common room where all the cool kids hang out <laughs> so uh, yeah it's, it's a lovely collective and a proper community yeah I mean what I also find enormously helpful is that you don't just do these tutorials where we can sort of catch up with each other but there's also what I found really important is the CPD webinars where you bring someone from an aspect of part of the industry whether it's someone talking about project management work management or even recently uh, a discussion on diversity and anti-racism and you can choose to attend or not but actually if nothing else you know it gives you food for thought to then go back and think actually you know that does work for me or it doesn't rather than spending fortunes on signing up for something that actually really wasn't working but yeah people are saying tried it it works in this industry you know so I, I think this is what's so unique about Celebrants Collective and correct me if I'm wrong anyone out there but I haven't seen anyone else providing the service you guys do and my goodness me it's value for money trust me <laughs> oh thank you you're ambassador really shouldn't i <laughs> you should <laughs>
that's fine you know it means you've mm. been through a process which mm. you, you don't even have to do let's face mm. it but I just wondered what your feeling was about the growth in the profession and why you think that might be happening it is an interesting one I saw a very similar thing happen when I became a life coach which was gosh when was that back in 2002-ish um, uh, I, I trained to be a life coach and it was at the time when people were going what's a life coach never heard of a life coach what's all that about and then over the years that I was a life coach it became one of those things where again actually similar to celebrancy suddenly everybody heard about being a life coach everybody knew a life coach then suddenly everyone and his dog was a life coach everyone and his dog was offering life coaching courses and what's quite interesting is um, I'm seeing a similar thing happening in the celebrancy um, world as well however what I have seen with the, the coaching world, I'm not in it anymore, but obviously I know quite a lot of people who are, is that it, it had that sort of peak, that sort of everybody was on the wagon. And, um, and then the good coaches, the ones who were full of integrity, who were doing it for all the right reasons, who, who uh, were devoted to what they did and really put their muscle into it, generally are the ones who have come through it now and are good and experienced. And I'm hoping the same thing will be the case with celebrancy because there are, I mean, and I do feel for people now who are looking for training because there are a lot of training organizations out there. And that was something that I was very aware of um, when we, we decided to do the training together, Natasha and I because I thought I don't want to be just another training organization that's just you know the, the, the idea sometimes amongst the celebrant community is oh you know the only people making money out of this are the celebrant you know trainers and stuff and it's all a bit of a racket and I, and I was I didn't in any way want to be part of that narrative because I mean I don't I don't know that there is anyone just doing it to make loads of money I, I think if you were going to make loads of money you'd probably choose a slightly different kind of thing to do but I I know how I felt uh, when I first started doing this and how much it felt like a real vocation wouldn't be understating it really it really felt like something I, I needed to do and that I was very called to do um, and and I, I wanted to be there for other people who felt the same way even if it was a crowded marketplace. I think I can absolutely concur with you on your last statement about vocation. Mm. And I have felt that before I did my first funeral. Uh, yeah. But doing it and seeing the difference it can make and, you know, the testimonial that became, that was unsolicited, just absolutely secured in my head that, you know, the amount of effort that I was prepared to put into, not just because of my first one, but to, to put into the job mm. to make sure the family got what they wanted. Plus, mm. you have to treat it as a vocation. You can't just treat it as another job. It's too visceral kind of work to be able to do that. I would say, especially in a funeral. Weddings is, is a slightly different sort of thing. And I won't say that that's not even a vocation because for some people it absolutely is, but for funerals, it requires something. And that, that brings me on to my next question. It requires something um, that personally I felt is that you need to really have such a sense of compassion and wanting to make things feel better. And I know we can't necessarily, make people feel better but what we can do is bring a sense of 
being cradled in someone's hands so that they can get through this incredibly traumatic time. So it's almost like, um, it's, it's like, you know, birthing a baby, although that's a bizarre sort of analogy when you're dealing with a funeral, but it's like, you're there to offer a, a, a transition mm. to the people who are grieving. Um, that's a very, very precious time. And you have to want to be able to do that well. So that sort of brings me on to my next question. And I'm sure you've got a zillion answers. Mm -hmm. So Claire, what do you think are the key attributes and or skills that one needs to be a, a really great celebrant? Well, funnily enough, we actually have uh, an early lesson on that in, in, the, uh, in the actual course itself. First of all, you have to be a people person, right? I mean, you would think that probably if you weren't a people person, you wouldn't be interested in becoming a celebrant. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's something that is... Yeah, absolutely key. You have to be interested in people. You have to be interested in their stories and you have to like being around people because it's a very people-y sort of a job. And that doesn't mean that if you have been somebody who works in a tiny little kind of corner office all your life and not spoken to anyone that you can't do it. But, you know, hopefully that means that you've been in the wrong job for a long time rather than that's the way that you prefer to work. Because if you are that kind of person, probably you're not going to cut it as a celebrant. The second thing and possibly the well, as I just said, the other one was most important, but a very, very, very important one is that you have to be a good listener. And uh, in order to be able to conduct a ceremony that really reflects somebody's life, you have to be able to listen to who they are. So whether that's a wedding or whether that's a funeral, you, you're listening to their story. And when I talk about listening, I'm not just talking about listening to what they're saying, uh, but also what they don't say, uh, listening to the things between the lines, listening to the exchange looks they might give you, for example, if you happen to be going around to their house, which obviously at the moment isn't happening because of COVID, but it gives another whole element to that kind of listening because you're listening, you know, in inverted commas to their to their living environment. You might go, oh, tell me about this picture on the wall or, oh my goodness, what an amazing piece of art or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so that's very, very, very important. You also have to listen to what they want out of the ceremony because not everybody, even if it's the same sort of ceremony, even if it's a, you know another wedding or another funeral, doesn't mean that it has to be the same or they've got the same things that they want out of it as the last one that you did. Following on from that, you have to be a great communicator as in you have to listen, but then you have to communicate to them, but also, but also to in the ceremony itself, how you um, you communicate what you've learned from them and you've turned it into a ceremony is very, very important. But of course you have to communicate with other wedding suppliers, other funeral suppliers, funeral directors, families, all those sorts of things as well. This is a very comprehensive answer. <laughs> Good, please. You have to have a positive mindset. And this actually kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about, are there too many celebrants, that kind of thing. Because it is tough. And I know that, you know, you've had, issues with with finding that actually it's 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 a tough one to get into particularly with funerals and I don't want to ever give anyone any bs about that you know I'm trying to be very very upfront about the fact that it, it's not a walk in the park sometimes people uh, manage to get to get a funeral quite quickly other times it takes a long time same with weddings as well and and, and you know I don't want ever people to think that 
it's it's going to be easy. That said, I don't want to put people off completely either. But in order to get through that potentially quite difficult stage at the beginning, you do need to have quite a positive mindset and to go, right, I've got the tenacity for this. I know it's going to be you know, a little bit of a climb, but I'm going to keep going at it. Um, because I do, I do find that the people, the, the celebrants that are going, oh, there are too many celebrants, I'm not getting any work because of it, are often the ones who perhaps have a scarcity mindset and things like that, and perhaps aren't looking at the ways that they can improve their own, uh, you know, the way that they, that they do things. So I, I say that, that sounds a little bit harsh, but you know, you have to just kind of keep bouncing back and have a bit of resilience, but it's it's not always easy. But that's why we've got that lovely supportive collective to help us when we're going, oh my God, am I ever going to get a booking? And uh, and people are there and, and, and suggesting things. Another thing you need to be is creative. So you can communicate what they've said, but also just to be able to say when they're, when they're telling you about something, go, oh, what about if we, Blah, 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 blah. So recently, for example, I was told about uh, a woman who had a liking for ter apparently terrible rosé wine. She's like really, really horribly sweet, really cheap. But she had this. She just loved it. And it was what got her through a really long illness. She just I like, had a daily glass of this this rosé wine. And, and they were laughing about, oh, my God, we've got boxes of the stuff because she bought it like, you know, in bulk. And now we don't know what to do with it all. And I said, well, how about we have a funny like toast? You know, we have a toast with this awful rosé when we can like, we can joke about how awful it is, but that we, we toast her. So it's, it's things like that, just having that creative. I mean, that's not the most creative thing in the world, obviously, but just those sorts of things that you you listen to what they're saying and then you kind of perhaps can can take it a little bit further. In um, improv circles, they talk about yes and, you know, yes and we could do this. And then another thing which is a bonus, but isn't something you have to have, but really, really helps. And especially with what I've just been talking about with that that difficult first bit getting, getting out there <clears throat> is if you've had some experience of running a business, uh, you kind of have an idea of what it's like to, to work for yourself. It's not essential because if you've got a positive mindset, you can learn all these things, but it just helps you to hit the ground running a little bit more and to have an idea of what it's like to be the head cook and the bottle washer in, in, in the business, as it were. So that really helps as well. I think what's also interesting is that um, within the resources that you supply, you do offer a selection, an idea of readings and music and poems. And I get the feeling that in certain spheres of celebrancy, they kind of almost stick to a template in terms of what they recommend to families and things like that, which to me is a bit of a shame because if a family hasn't got any idea of poetry or readings or what music to choose, mm. you know, we're there to give them choices and not just to sort of slap a, a template on it. And, and I think one of the skills that's always worthwhile developing is an ongoing curiosity to research so that you build up your own collection of readings, poems, quotes, music, things like that, that you can then sort of say, well, actually, like you did think on your feet with the wine, it's like, well, maybe there's a, a piece of music and a writing that makes reference to that particular idea so that you can call into those resources and say, well, look, we're going to be doing this. Here's a really great reading that would actually really tie in with this that the family mm -hmm. may never have thought of or heard of. And I think mm -hmm. that's, in, in you know, in that's a progressive way of thinking. And, and, and I think really more and more, we should be thinking, we should have that mindset of like, we call ourselves the, the tailors and 
bespoke, you know, ceremony makers. But if you're only working to a template, you're not really being bespoke, are you? Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that because this was one of the, 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 the questions I had in my head when I was creating the course, because one of our, our fundamental tenets at Celebrants Collective is there's no right or wrong. And, and I say that, obviously, there are some things that would be very wrong, like if you turned up at a, cere- a ceremony completely drunk or something, clearly that would, would not be ideal. But what we're talking about is there isn't that idea of this is the correct way of doing a thing, but the idea of coming to each ceremony with a completely blank canvas and going, okay, tell me what you want. And then again, there's this fine line of not wanting to overwhelm people with all the possibilities. And this is the case both with the training, but also when you're talking to families and talking to couples, you don't want to overwhelm people with, with all the possibilities either. So it's a case of kind of, of, of making people know that you can do whatever, that, that it is a blank canvas and then to trust their instinct to trust their intuition their creativity that's that's for the celebrants but also for families to be able to say oh okay so to be able to open their minds and go okay well so maybe a green leopard sprint uh, print coffin would, would be a possibility but sometimes it's a case of knowing when to suggest things so your example of the readings for example yeah, we put uh, we put some some example readings and things like that that people can start to create a set of, of things that they can suggest. But what I did when I very first started as a celebrant was I would send my my families uh, and my couples the whole the whole file and and I, I know that was quite overwhelming for them. So now I I got I get to know the family, I get to know the couple, and I think ah. Oh, I wonder if that poem would be good for them or I'll go through my file and I'll sort of I'll prune it and I'll, I'll give them a, a selection that I think would be right up their street. However, there is a whole other, there's a whole other breed of celebrant and you sometimes see them on the forums where they're, they're so obsessed with finding the p- precise poem for a thing. You know, has anyone got a poem for a man who was six foot three and loved golf? You know, and it's like, well, no, not really. And sometimes actually it's great when you do find the poem or a reading that, that really fits. But tr- like you said, that, that templating, that trying to shoehorn, I have to have a poem in there. It, it doesn't always work like that. So, you know, a, a, a great poem and a great knowledge of the sorts of things that are out there is brilliant but not to feel that I have to find the exact thing. And, and again, that's, the, that's a, an, eye, an example of that kind of restricted thinking, if that, if that makes sense. Yes, I mean, certainly, I think the first thing you need to do when you're meeting a family for a funeral is to understand your audience. Yeah. Really, really understand your audience before you even start chucking stuff like that. And I know that with certain funeral directors in terms of the time they allow you to work with the family and the time that you're prepared to spend with the family is often dictated by how busy you are or the sort of fee that um, you're allowed to charge. Certain funeral directors set a a ceiling limit and you have to stick to it, others don't. But I think certainly from my experience, I was prepared to go the extra mile and I negotiated my fee um, because I knew that this family were so, uh, I don't know, they were, open to ideas and that giving them ideas meant that there was more discussion and more thought required. And in actual fact, what was so great is everything I suggested, they pretty much turned down. But what it made them do is really think about, actually, could we, for example, play the Scissor Sisters as the 
um, committal music, you know, do you think that would be too off the wall? I said, well, wait a minute, there are no rules. If that's what your, your person loved and that was their favorite bit of music, who am I to say you can't have that? Have it. Oh, yeah. but I mean, in a crematorium, who cares? Mm. It, it's just you and particularly during COVID, it's just, you know, it was what the 15 of you and me, you play what you want. And I think the important thing is that you offer ideas and solutions and then they choose. But if you don't offer them choices, that's not fair in my book. Yeah. And, and there is this, this feeling of like you just said, oh, is that okay? You know, like there's some kind of funeral police that are gonna come and arrest them for, for choosing the wrong thing. So it is a case of, Open, opening them up to the possibility but also not overwhelming them with with like you can do anything and just at a time when they're sort of overwhelmed with with grief and things anyway so yeah it's it's a, it's a, tr a tricky balance and I think this is where this more progressive training is so important because it is now only a bonus to the eventual couples families whoever we're working with to explain and make it very clear this is their moment. It's not my moment. Mm. I'm really the, the master of ceremonies in a sense. Mm. You know, I am not here to dictate. I can tell you what the parameters are in terms of time or practicalities or technical stuff, but this is your time. And I think, you know, it, it falls upon us to show the progression, to open up the discussions on a wider basis because let's face it during covid people have experienced death that were not anticipating it for a really really long time and suddenly they had this huge thing called i've got to organize a funeral where on earth do i begin mm. they were lucky to work with someone who was prepared to really make it work in the kindest most sensitive way possible under the circumstances i am sure did a really great job for those families. And I'm not saying people have done a bad job. I wasn't there. Mm. That's not the point I'm making. The point is that the more we develop our capabilities and open up the industry, um, it can only benefit ultimately the families. And that sort of leads me on a little bit in this discussion, slightly away from training, but because of your amazing experience as you know a funeral celebrant as well as weddings and we'll get to weddings later but mm. um in the short time that i've been immersed into this industry i i had no idea what 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 really went on you know i you, you just don't why would you so i would say to you and be as honest as you like oh, okay <laughs> you know for want of being trolled on the internet about it we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> do you think that the funeral industry is ready for change oh there's a very good question so that's the end of part one of my interview with claire bradford about celebrancy training and the skills to become a great celebrant in the next podcast you will hear part two of this very engaging interview where we go on to talk about the funeral industry and how it can progress and change with the times. So see you in part two. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast channel 
where you will be notified of future uploads. I appreciate you spending time with us.